0: This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Greetings and welcome to the Clinician to Clinician podcast. My name is Dr. Greg Tino from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and I'm the podcast editor for the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. Today's guest is Dr. Nadia Hansel, who co-authored a manuscript in the annals that's entitled, Ambient Air Pollution Adversely Impacts Various Domain of Asthma Morbidity Among Peruvian Children. So it turns out we haven't discussed asthma recently in this podcast series, so today's discussion will really provide an opportunity to focus on some aspects of this very important disease. In just this context, more than 26 million Americans have asthma, and around the world, 330 million people are thought to have asthma, and the prevalence is actually rising, according to the 2018 Global Asthma Report. So Dr. Hansel is a professor of medicine and director of the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine and Associate Dean of Research at Johns Hopkins Bayview at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore. Welcome and thank you, Dr. Hansel, for joining the podcast. I'm really looking forward to our discussion this morning.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well.
0: All right. So let's jump right in. So, so Dr. Hansen, what was the impetus for the study?
1: Uh, well, thank you for asking that question. We um, were very interested in understanding uh, why uh, it, or how environmental risk factors contribute uh, to asthma morbidity. Uh, in particular, um, we were in. There's been very few studies understanding asthma and how it affects the Latino and Hispanic communities.
0: So uh, I think the next step then is, why don't you describe your study and its design? And and one of the questions that I certainly have, and I'm sure our audience was, is why did you specifically choose Peru uh, for your clinical study?
1: Yeah, well, that's another great question. So Latinos and Hispanics are the largest and youngest and fastest-growing minority population in the United States. And, unfortunately, asthma morbidity tends to disproportionately affect some Latino groups more than others. There's also quite a discrepancy in asthma rates between different Latino populations. Therefore, uh, trying to really understand genetic and environmental risk factors in Latino populations can be particularly challenging. Uh, We ended up uh, deciding to uh, lead our study in Peru, Uh, one reason, because of the very high asthma morbidity and asthma prevalence rates in Peru. It is well above the global average in terms of asthma symptoms and frequency or prevalence of wheeze. Uh, And... Uh, It's only uh, one of a few countries that really have asthma prevalence thought to be on the order of one in five uh, people. Uh, So really um, sort of the epidemiologic data suggests that asthma morbidity in Peru is a major public health problem, um, and the prevalence of asthma in Peru is probably one of the highest in the world. Uh, We also have great colleagues uh, in Peru, Dr. William Checkley, who is one of my collaborators, uh, already had quite a uh, wonderful uh, research infrastructure in Peru, which really thought uh, in this case it is a uh, great opportunity where we feel uh, we can help answer some of these questions. Uh, so we launched a study uh, that we called uh, GASP, which is uh, uh, stands for uh, the, the Genetic Asthma Susceptibility to Air Pollution uh, in Peru. Uh, study where we recruited children between the ages of 9 and 19 years of age. Uh, We focused on recruiting in two uh, peri-urban communities uh, in Lima, uh, Peru, which is the capital city. Uh, The two communities are Pampas de San Juan de Miraflores and Villa El Salvador. Uh, And really, this is a relatively small area in Lima with uh, relatively low-income children. Uh, We Instead of relying on sort of a central monitor, we went and uh, were able to uh, place uh, environmental monitoring on rooftops uh, distributed pretty evenly throughout these two communities. And we really think that that really allowed us to get very fine spatial modeling of air pollution so that we could really more accurately estimate what some of these kids were exposed to in their community. Uh, and we followed the children with asthma uh, over six to nine months uh, and continuously monitored the air quality in their communities as well as to follow them every two to four weeks to assess their asthma symptoms. One of the things that I think was pretty unique about this study is we used not just um, healthcare utilization or asthma exacerbation uh, as an outcome, uh, but we really tried to understand more about how an if, Air pollution can affect day-to-day symptoms and day-to-day quality of life and asthma control in children. All outcomes that we think are very important in terms of a kid's life with asthma that may or may not necessarily be captured just by understanding whether air pollution can trigger exacerbations of the underlying disease that leads to uh, hospitalization.
0: So how does does air pollution in Peru, in and around Lima, for example, generally compare... To, for example, cities in the United States like Baltimore, Philadelphia, is it is the air quality generally worse? I know I know obviously many of the many of the kids lived near highly trafficked uh, roadways, you know where there's a lot of diesel fuel vehicles, et cetera. So just to give just to give me an idea, how does it compare? More or less the same?
1: Yeah, so definitely not. All areas of Peru are the same, and not all areas in the U.S. are the same, of of course, but definitely the particulate matter levels were higher uh, than we would mostly see in the U.S. Uh, So just the average level for PM2.5, which are particles less than 2.5 microns, was about uh, in the mid-20s. Uh, which is definitely higher than we see in U.S. cities today. Uh, And even from day to day, which I think is an important point, there was quite a bit of variability in the PM levels, depending on whether it's the weekday, the weekend, the high traffic day, a low traffic day, uh, so in general, as you mentioned, these kids lived uh, in an area that was near a major roadway, and so they were exposed to higher levels of particles than we would see in a typical U.S. city.
0: So one of the things uh-huh. that I was struck by is, uh, and you, you, you alluded to the fact that the very high prevalence in, in Peru, but 67%, so two-thirds of the kids had, had moderate to severe asthma, which I thought was was pretty striking, how does that compare to our kids in the United States? Again, across the board.
1: Yes. Well, for sure, uh, the first the first thing, in, which wasn't really noted in this study because it was not a prevalence study, but as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the prevalence rates for asthma are are really higher uh, than we see in the U.S. Uh, uh, almost double the rates. Uh, and then uh, the rates of moderate to severe persistent asthma also on the higher side, as you mentioned. So it also does depend on the community uh, that we visit uh, in the U.S., as unfortunately many of our inner city areas also have relatively high rates. Uh, it's even thought that in Baltimore City, for example, where I live or where I work, uh, that the uh, asthma rates for children can be a as high as 20% as well, uh, but uh, persistent asthma rates in the U.S., depending on the areas, uh, do range, but for the most part, uh, 60 or 7 uh, percent having moderate to severe asthma is also high. So not only do they have higher rates of asthma, but I think uh, the children, unfortunately, are having more persistent disease.
0: All right, so what were the main conclusions uh, of your study, Dr. Hansel?
1: Wow. Ah, well, I think we had um, a, a few take-home points that I think are quite interesting. Uh, the first is that the pollutant levels outdoor were linked to multiple measures of asthma morbidity, uh, not just uh, healthcare utilization, which is of course very important uh, outcome. Right? We don't want our kids uh, needing to go to the doctor or hospital. Uh, because of asthma exacerbations. But I do think it's important to also note, as I mentioned, uh, that the air pollution was linked to um, several outcomes that in some regards might be perceived as less severe, but that also impact the quality of life of our children. Uh, So the air pollutant concentrations were linked to asthma control, which we assessed on a monthly basis. Uh, It was linked to having worse quality of life uh, or respiratory-specific quality of life uh, for the kids and also linked uh, to sort of missed school days. And, you know, we definitely want our kids in school. We want our kids learning, uh, and we want our kids uh, to be able to run around and play uh, and uh, have a good quality of life. Um, the second point that I think uh, is important is that the part of the particulate matter uh, that seemed to be most detrimental to the kids was the proportion of the particulates uh, that uh, were related to black carbon. So at that sort of leads to two points. One is black carbon is really thought to most likely be a traffic related pollutant. So I think that leads us to think about the potential sources and potentially different sources of particles might be more toxic than others. And so maybe uh, it leads for us to think about targeting traffic in particular as, a, as uh, one of the more detrimental contributions to the particles. Uh, I think that also leads us to the question which I think uh, other studies have also suggested that we need to consider more about what is the composition of the PM, where the sources of the PM come from, and not all PM is necessarily the same in terms of its detrimental health effects. The third point that I think came from this study uh, and this article presentation is that it's not just uh, particulate matters that we did look at not just particulate matter and the proportion of the particulate matter composition that is black carbon, but we also looked at nitrogen dioxide levels, which I haven't talked about yet. But nitrogen dioxide is both an indoor and an outdoor pollutant. It's thought to come mostly from combustion, is often also considered a traffic-related pollutant. And we did modeling that included... um, both particulate matter and nitrogen dioxide in models simultaneously and adjusted for each other, and it really does suggest uh, that each of those pollutants, for example, have independent effects on asthma morbidity so considering only PM or particulate matter may not be adequate, and we really have to think about multi pollutant strategies. so in my sense, those might are probably the three main con- of the study that uh, particulates and pollution really are associated not just with exacerbations, but with uh, day-to-day symptoms and quality of life in children with asthma. Uh, that we need to think really about composition of the air pollution as well as think about multi-pollutant effects on respiratory health.
0: So, were you surprised by any of the things that you found?
1: I can't say I was surprised. I I really, uh, of course, I'm probably biased, which is why we do these environmental studies. I'm a strong believer that the air we breathe is important in our health. Um, But I think it's important uh, to do the correct studies to actually show this effect. And so I really believe that having sort of the longitudinal nature of the study to show that the fluctuations in particulate matter really make a difference on our children's lives. You know, when the air pollution levels are better or lower, our children are breathing better uh, and they're able to do more and they're able to go to school. So surprise, maybe not, but I think I am uh, re-energized, I think, in my uh, pursuit of uh, environmental justice and uh, uh, I'm happy to contribute to the literature that suggests uh, that we need to do better for our children and make sure that they uh, live in a healthy environment.
0: Yeah, It makes a lot of sense, and I agree with you that certainly the air we breathe contributes to morbidity from a lot of different diseases. And, and you know, a study like this can have significant, you know, potential public health implications in public health policy. And I, I will get into that a little bit later about, about how you think you could use your data to impact public policy. But um, one of the things that, that, as reading through the paper, um, there's been a lot of work about indoor air pollution, um, and, uh, you know, impact on asthma, but also, you know, other chronic airways diseases. So so I think you, you touched on the issues of nitrogen dioxide and how indoor air pollution contributes to asthma severity. How did you control for it in, in this particular study, and, and, you know, what were the home environments for the children by and large?
1: Yeah. so that's a really excellent question. And I think um, my first comment on that is that I do think uh, the more I have done this, Uh, Type of research, the more I have appreciated uh, the importance of the indoor environment, which is actually the area that I have focused most of my career on, is trying to understand the contributions of the indoor air environment. I think how the indoor environment and how the outdoor environment come together to affect respiratory health is a fascinating question. And I think that depending on the community that you are studying or the community that you live, the impact and how the indoor and outdoor air come together is different or may be different. For instance, in Baltimore City, where we do our indoor air pollution studies, um, the indoor air environment in a lot of our uh, homes in Baltimore City of children that live with asthma really, really comes very strongly from indoor sources, whether someone is smoking in the house, whether they have a gas stove, whether how often the gas stove is being run. and uh, You know, for better or for worse, there's not a huge amount of ventilation in our homes with outdoor air. So most of the indoor air pollution really comes from indoor air sources. When we were out in this community in Peru, we did have an earlier study study. Uh, that we published that really did show that in these homes, because of the high ventilation, the high amount of uh, open windows, that the outdoor air really was the main contributor to the indoor air. So actually when we talk about indoor air in this community, we really think that the outdoor air and what we were measuring is the largest contributor to the actual indoor air environment. We did control for um, what we know are large uh, sources of indoor air in general, such as household smoking or uh, stove use. And we really didn't see that adjusting for these uh, factors really made a significant impact on how much the ambient air was contributing to the health effects. And I think that's because in this Peruvian community, the outdoor air was really the main contributor to the indoor air as well. But that may not be the same for different communities, right? So you really do need to take into consideration, uh, I think, uh, you can't necessarily extrapolate every environmental setting to say that the exact same effect is going to be found in a different community.
0: Makes sense. So, how about atopic disease or the the, the the prevalence of of atopic disease? How 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 would do you think that contributed to the control in Peruvian kids? And and is there a relationship with 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 uh, outdoor air pollutants?
1: Yeah. So, I think the question of P is 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 a very good one. Um, my uh, take on the literature and what's available out there is that uh, it's been uh, a little inconsistent uh as to whether particulate exposure, for instance, could be more or less detrimental in uh as uh children with asthma that have allergies or a to p or don't uh I will say that adjusting for a to p in our uh analyses did not actually have any impact either on the effect of p m and we did a um, stratified analysis and tried to look specifically at children that had A to P and, tr- and children that did not have A to P. And we didn't really see qualitative differences in that regard. So, from this study, I would conclude that a, a, I think it appeared that air pollution effects were similar whether children had allergies or not. Um, but I acknowledge that other studies have uh, suggested even that non-atopic or atopic children might have increased susceptibility. And I think that the jury is still out. I do think that part of this explanation uh, might be similar to your last question and that every environment is a little bit different. So, and particle uh, particle composition might be different in different environments and the indoor environment and other exposures that children are exposed to in different communities might be different. And so we may find some differential. Depending on the study about how A to P uh, uh, affects responsiveness to to pollution, but I would say in our study and in our community in Lima, Peru, where we did this study, I think uh, that the ambient air pollution effects uh, were not changed based on whether children were also sensitized to allergens or not.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's interesting because because when I was reading through that uh, reading through the paper, I thought. It must be that children who have, you know, more atopic disease or atopic tendencies, um, that that would be sort of an additive effect. It it turns out that may not be the case. It's very interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, at least in Uh, this
1: case, I think it has not been the case. You know, interestingly, my colleague Meredith McCormick has uh, some – uh, had done a, a earlier study here in Baltimore Cities uh with results suggesting that uh the children that were not atopic or did not have allergies might have actually been a little bit more susceptible to, to particle effects uh in, in suggesting that the pm really might act from a non allergic mm-hmm. uh you know uh, direction but again i i think there have been studies that have shown uh larger effects in both directions
0: Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about um, sort of baseline asthma treatment regimens in, in the kids in the study. You, you actually had a table obviously describing what the therapy looked like. So can you just comment on, in general, what, what a basic asthma regimen looked like? And, and one of the questions that I had, and I don't know if there's a real answer to this, or at least an evidence-based answer to this, are, are things like inhaled critical steroids protective at least to some degree, against the impact of air pollution, so two parts what 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 were these kids on, and do you think that anything particularly i c s were um protective uh, for these kids?
1: yeah, so I will tell you that is something that we could absolutely not distinguish in our study, particularly because so few children, <laughs> despite having persistent asthma, were on any type of long term controller. So uh, the use of inhaled corticosteroids, despite the fact that 60% of the kids uh, were thought to have persistent asthma symptoms, only about 4% of the children were actually on an inhaled corticosteroid. So really that didn't allow us Uh, to really uh, get a good sense of what the effect of inhaled corticosteroid use had on PM responsiveness. And I would say the same for our other typical long-term controller in asthma, which is a long-acting beta agonist use, was even lower, just 0.4%. So they're definitely more likely to be on an inhaled steroid alone than on a dual combination therapy. Um, I think this is another area, honestly, is about sort of, health care access and ability to be on long-term controller medications for these children. Uh, there have been some studies uh, that suggest that inhaled steroid uh, might protect from PM, but unfortunately for these children, since so few kids were on a long-term controller, we're really uh, unable to determine that in this specific study.
0: That's that's unbelievable, isn't it? Um, so were most of the kids on just short-acting beta agonists? Was that the predominant treatment regimen that these kids were on?
1: Yeah, exactly right, uh, short-acting beta agonist and as-needed oral prednisone.
0: Unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean, we certainly have the same issues, though, not to the same degree in this country. Certainly, I think control medications are probably underutilized, particularly in some populations, And but this is really stark uh, in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the lack of use of appropriate medications, very interesting. Um, so, in addition to, the, obviously, some of the adverse impacts um, on asthma that you presented in your paper, are there other long-term um, important health concerns for these kids because of um, high exposure to, to particulate matter, and otherwise, do these kids have higher incidence of other lung diseases long-term? Do we have any sense of, of the long-term impacts?
1: Yeah, well, you know, that is a really important question, and I think our uh, work uh, across Uh, Many investigators, many investigative teams, uh, work supported by the NIEHS and the EPA through the Children's uh, Center Awards have over years accumulated amazing, amazing uh, data that suggests that environmental exposures are linked to many, several uh, chronic lung diseases uh, or chronic diseases in general. So, you know, our group has focused on the lungs, of course, as, as pulmonologists have done a lot of work uh, linking air pollution exposure to asthma and poor asthma outcomes, but, of course, just in general populations populations uh, Data suggests that exposure to pollutants can lead to lung function loss over time, which could lead to chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, We have also done some work suggesting that air pollution exposure uh, can lead not only to a higher prevalence of COPD, but patients with COPD also can have more respiratory symptoms, similar to what we're seeing here in the children with asthma. Air pollution has been linked to cardiovascular disease, atherosclerosis, uh, you know, even their, uh great work recently uh, that air pollution exposure can lead to higher obesity rates, glucose uh, dysregulation, uh, and even dementia in the elderly. So, you know, I really think uh, that despite the fact that the lungs might be the vehicle of exposure here to air pollution, uh, that there are definitely systemic effects. And other lifelong uh consequences uh for these children and uh people uh everywhere who are exposed to high levels of air pollution,
0: so you just answered my next question, so <laughs> I was going <laughs> to ask about that manifestations. so that's 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 great, thank you for that um you know obviously what I think many of us are interested in, certainly you spent a long time and a long part of your career doing this is from a from a public health perspective ultimately. You know, this kind of data brings a compelling argument to suggest that, you know, we've got to do uh, a better job not only in this country but around the world from a public health perspective um, to minimize these kinds of exposures. So, so based on what you know and what your, the study showed and, and your broad experience, so what interventions are a practical, b have the biggest impact in it? You would recommend to reduce exposure to these pollutants? So are there some big ticket, um, low hanging fruit from a public health perspective, Nadia?
1: Well, I don't know if there's any low hanging fruit. I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, reducing the sources of pollution, you know, I I think that there are some studies uh, that definitely have shown that if we can reduce ambient pollution over time, that there are health benefits and people do better, lung function improves, asthma morbidity will improve. You know, traffic, obviously, as I think I mentioned earlier, is a big source of pollution. So ways to uh, minimize uh, traffic to make sure that uh, cars are cleaner version. Uh, Really concentrating on industry approaches and concentrating really on where we're building houses and where we're building schools next to these sources I think are all really important uh, messages you know and as you asked me earlier about indoor air pollution it's important to think about that also right so in every community is different and indoor air sources are different in these peruvian homes outdoor air is the big contributor to the indoor air homes but in some US cities that's not the case and uh, there are really homes with high indoor air pollution so i also think that the message about that we have about messaging on high p.m. days or high ozone days and go inside. I mean, we do have to think about where we are telling our children to go, and we need to make sure that those homes are actually providing a cleaner air environment than uh, the outside where we're telling them to go in. And I will say in in many cases, for instance, in Baltimore City, the indoor air is worse than the outdoor air. So telling them to go in on a high p.m. day of, where the PM level is 30 or 40, to go inside and the PM level is 60 or 70 because there's someone inside smoking or we have a coal stove or a wood-burning stove going may not be the best recommendation. So, you know, I do think that we need to think about outdoor and indoor sources. I think education is important so that people know and and can protect themselves is also very important. So I really do appreciate this podcast because I think getting the message out there um, so that we can empower uh, individuals to make the best choices for themselves is important.
0: Yeah, that's such a powerful point about the idea that that the indoor air um, can be worse than the outdoor air. I mean, I think that's lost on a lot of especially... Both of us who don't do you know a lot of work in asthma, both either on the research side or on the clinical side so that's a really important point uh for our audience to hear um how about in terms of biomass exposure in the homes Nadia? i mean is that um is that a problem in 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 these Peruvian homes particularly in these in these areas that you studied is there an opportunity yeah. there for education
1: so uh, Interestingly, in Lima, which is really, you know, a larger city, the use of biomass was not as prevalent. But obviously, in rural areas in Peru, biomass use is much more prevalent and a much uh, larger problem. And, you know, again, I will say the same thing for the U.S. We don't really think as of biomass being a U.S. issue, but there are definitely rural communities in Appalachia and other other places in the U.S. that uh, do have coal, wood-burning stoves and use biomass. And so it is also a U.S. issue about biomass contributing to indoor air. Uh, definitely in biomass, um, in homes that use biomass, particulate levels are even higher. Uh, and so that is definitely a concern, and we need to do more to have efficient uh, uh, ways uh, uh, to heat heat homes or cook uh, in the U.S. as well. Uh, but a point that I think that this study makes, since it's, this was not specifically a community that had high biomass levels, is that even PM particulate levels that are lower than what we see in, in biomass uh, homes are detrimental detrimental to our health. So I think we really need to um, think not only about biomass, but think about other sources of pollution that contribute uh, to lung health. And one thing that I have been very impressed with as I have continued uh, with these studies is how it's not actually clear that there's a lower threshold with which we can say, oh, right, if we get below uh, 15 or 20 on par- particle levels that uh, you know we have eliminated any adverse health effects. Uh, I really think there's no clear lower threshold, and the healthier we can get our air, the better for all.
0: That's that's great. Did, did you and your colleagues learn any other lessons that impacted your approach to diagnosis or management of asthma in your own practices? That, from what you learned from from the experience of children in Peru, we talked about obviously some of the some of the concerns about indoor and outdoor air, et cetera. But are there anything else any other things that you say, wow, you know, because of this I've gonna change my approach. Is it change taking a different history from your patients or, or changing your management? Anything any other major impact on uh, on your clinical practice? Um
1: well I would say that there are two things and I and I think that has affected, yeah, exactly. My clinical practice of, of my patients with asthma and beyond it is really um it's a collective uh multi-aspect approach to understanding contributions to disease. So there is smoking, there is secondhand smoke. We definitely want to minimize that. But there are other sources of pollution that we should be asking our children and our adults about and really think about a multimodality approach to reducing risk factors. I think this is important both for asthma, this is important for patients with COPD. You know, asking about smoking is important, asking about biomass use is important, but as I mentioned, I think that there are other sources that we can think about minimizing. I will say personally, I have been a little bit more aggressive and I think there are some studies uh, in the U.S. that have shown that using HEPA air purifiers uh, can reduce indoor uh, particle exposure. And I do think that um, some of those approaches, such as HEPA purification of the air, at least in the indoor environment, um, can improve asthma symptoms moderately. And I I think also from an anecdotal experience in clinic have felt as if patients often will come back reporting that they feel as if they're breathing easier. Uh my other as 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 you noted uh you know, the inhaled corticosteroid use is very low, uh, and so sometimes it takes the obvious and an extreme example to say, hey, you know, we, we can do better here. Uh, and so my general take home is I think we need to do more. I think we need to do more for our children, not just in Peru, but in the U.S., Uh, And I think that we should always consider about the multiple aspects of disease, right, the multiple exposures that can be contributing. And really, uh, if you have an opportunity at at a clinician at the bedside to ask about additional exposures, uh, I think that's often helpful. We often uncover exposures that if we didn't ask, nobody would tell us, and and it might really be impacting disease. Um, And then the the other point, really, again, is that there are multiple ways uh, that some of these exposures can be affecting children. It's not just uh, important to ask if they were hospitalized. We really want to know how they're breathing and if they're uh, able to run around and have fun, uh, because all of that are really important outcomes for our kids.
0: That's very well said. I think, you know, the work that you've done and your colleagues is really um, really illustrative of when you do a well-designed study with a very practical clinical question, how you learn so much just in the last half hour, just from reading your paper. Again, as, as somebody who's not an expert in asthma, uh, it's been it's been wonderful to to understand that even even relatively straightforward data can have significant impact um, on what you do, even even for individual patients in your practice. So that's been that's been terrific. Um, so let me put you on the spot. So what's the one take-home message? you wanted to leave for our audience after what you've learned from, from your accumulated experience and from this paper. So what's, what's the number one message that our audience should take away from, from, from your findings? Well,
1: uh, the one take home pain I would say is in en- environment matters. Um, ask about it, assess it, um, ask about, uh, you know, what, uh, triggers might worsen asthma and, uh, Oftentimes the answer may not be easy, but strategize with your patients about thinking about their ways to reduce their exposures. I think it will have uh, a lasting impact on their asthma health uh, and I think uh, has potential for other long-lasting uh, benefits downstream.
0: Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, thank you for that. So any, any last thoughts or comments, Nadia, about uh, about asthma in general or specifically about your paper?
1: Uh, Dr. Tino, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been such a pleasure uh, to be on this uh, podcast and, uh, and to, to speak with you.
0: Now, the thanks go to you. I certainly, as I said, learned a lot from today's discussion on the role of air pollution and asthma, um, and I hope that our audience uh, did too. So until next time, this is Dr. Greg Tino, podcast editor for the Annals of the ATS. Thank you for joining in.